Welcome back to Round Hill Radio. You're joining part two of our discussion of the book, Jesus and the Disinherited by Howard Thurman. If you haven't yet listened to part one, I would recommend you quickly go back and do so as we're picking up right where we left off. Sincerity will bring you close to God and it will bring you close to other people. And I think he carries that over in the chapter on hatred as well. Yeah. So let's, let's dive into that one, which is of course, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot, but everything is a lot. Um, you know, the, what was interesting to me is how he, he characterized hatred as a disconnection from yourself as a, as a curtain drawn across your soul. Um, yeah. And, and it, it made me think of, um, he was talking about how, how in order to have, uh, people who would not otherwise fight for their country to instill a, a feeling of hatred towards the enemy, that that was a part of the strategy. Um, I have, I have some friends who served in the military during the uh, Iraq and Iran conflicts, and that's exactly what they do uh, was, was my, my friend, ex- my friend's experience. And, and thank goodness he made it through the other side, but it's, um, that I found that to be, you know, there's so much in this book that is still, that is so connected to today. And it mm-hmm. was written so long ago, <laughs> you know. Well, when you think about the, how many times is the word polarized used these days? You know, everyone talks about how polarized we are. And I think Howard Thurman would say, well, look, uh, disen- disenfranchised people have been living in a polarized world since day one. Yeah. <laughs> so, the only way to over the only way to move beyond the hatred that separates people is again i think the the key word in this chapter is really the word forgiveness and he says this is really the key word that jesus brings you know you have to love your enemies and uh he does say you know love is possible only between two freed spirits that's interesting because so that has to be a mutual liberation going on um and there cannot be too great insistence on the point that we are here dealing with a discipline, a method, a technique, as over against some form of wishful thinking or simple desiring. So forgiveness, I think it was Martin Luther King, actually, who said that forgiveness is not an occasional gesture. It's a permanent attitude. And I think he's picking that up from Howard Thurman, who is saying it's not, it's not a feeling. It's a practice. And you have to do it over and over again. And so uh, hopefully, Leslie, to use our, our term, practice makes progress, right? Okay. That's our that's our hope. <laughs> and, and, and you had mentioned, you know, these these anecdotes that uh, that Thurman talks about. And when you talk about, you know, forgiveness is the solution. It is the cure to hatred. And regardless of how hatred has emerged in people, sometimes it's propaganda, sometimes it's because of, of context and situations. I mean, hatred stirs up in people and it, it causes the demise of not just others, but of the self as well. You know, when, when you let hatred build up and, you know, I, I look at today's world that we're living in and you talked about the, the polarization that save our country right now and the, the, the rhetoric of hate that is spewed out there that is put onto banners and flags and, and paraded all around. Uh, again, often in the, uh, in, under the bigger umbrella of Christianity and under the name of Jesus, somehow, which that gets lost to me, 
it's so prevalent now. And I know it's always been there. And again, I think for the disenfranchised and disinherited that they've, they've experienced that, but now because of, of the media and media outlets, it's just, it's in our face all the time. And sadly, so often it has been connected with, with certain uh, movements of people who claim Christian faith. And, you know, I was talking to somebody just the other day and we were talking about something we saw on the news, you know, this clear hatred uh, and people being proud of hating other people, hating people who are different than them, hating people who believe differently. And we sort of made a joke. I mean, it wasn't really a funny joke. We said, yeah, because that's exactly what Jesus said to do. Right. Like that's if you read the Beatitudes. Of course, that comes out. It's like, where exactly are you getting this as a follower of Christ? And talking about, you know, hate and Jesus, uh, just, um, it's an anathema to him. Thurman writes these words and permission, permit me, I'll, I'll read these. He said, um, and it's, it's very, it's just so clear and, and it should be clear, but, but Thurman just points it out. He said, Jesus rejected hatred, period. Three words, Jesus rejected hatred. It was not because he lacked the vitality or the strength. It was not because he lacked the incentive. Jesus rejected hatred because he saw that hatred meant death, death to the mind, death to the spirit, death to communion with his father. He affirmed life and hatred was the great denial. And, you know, for me, that's the message that is so true and so clear that you know, we need to communicate and continue to communicate. And for people who have, uh, are, are absorbed in hatred, it is forgiveness. You know, that, that is the only cure to it is that true forgiveness. Um, and that can restore faith and relationships with others, with God, with self. And that the good, here's the good news and all is that that is the message of Christ. I mean, that is one of the primary central messages of the gospel of what we proclaim, what we preach, why we get together every time we get together for worship and gatherings. Is it not that? I mean, that, that should be it. And when we do make that central, uh, I do believe that. And I think Thurman believes that that has the power to transform societies, to transform hearts and minds and lives that will transform societies and can transform the world. And perhaps it's the only thing that's ever really done that over the last 2000 years. And so it gives me hope and it gives me um, a, just a, a sense of real heightened sense of, of, uh, of ambition and, and passion and vision. You know, um, it, it struck me when I reread this recently that um, Howard Thurman was an evangelist. And uh, that word doesn't always sit comfortably with all, <laughs> with every kind of iteration of Christianity, but uh, we tend to think of, we tend when we hear that word, I think we tend to think of someone who's trying to convert someone who's not a part of the Christian family, right, into the Christian family. It really means someone who's a bearer of good news. That's what the word originally means. That's its word origin. And he says way back in the first chapter, for years, it has been a part of my own quest so to understand the religion of Jesus that interest in his way of life could be developed and sustained by intelligent men and women who were at the same time deeply victimized by the Christian church's betrayal of his faith. So 
to me, the kind of generative impulse of this book is to recapture what you've said, uh, Dan, in terms of the transformative power of Christian life, to free the person who's been disenfranchised and also to free the oppressor, right? That's the kind of liberation theology that's at work here. And, um, and again, it just strikes me that he, he returns again and again to these moves that we have to make in our lives to see ourselves as children of God, uh, to access the power of sincerity, to practice forgiveness. These are like the cornerstones for him, these three things. And it, I just find it so intriguing that he lands on these three uh, as he thinks about the inner life of the person who's disenfranchised. And, uh, and he says that every person needs to have a working paper. I kind of was interested in that phrase. He mentions that in the, the epilogue, you know, that what's what along what lines are you going to live your life? Tell me about your working paper. And that's something that every person can create, right? It's just that's that's who we intend to be when we're living according to our highest values. So uh, that's how I see him moving this book through these chapters and then kind of bringing it all together. Absolutely. And I think that ties so much into some of the intention we've been setting behind this podcast. Hmm. Um, you know, we've said it in our introduction um, for so, so long, that it's a different conversation about faith, right. that there are me, there, there are so many loud yelling voices teaching such a disconnected message of Jesus hmm. that that we found, we felt compelled to start maybe being a little bit louder that Jesus is love and that our love should be louder than the voices who are saying otherwise. Um, and so I think this book for me gave me a lot of encouragement that I feel like that when, when we're communicating in line with our values and with the teachings of the real teachings of Jesus, then we're we've got our working papers. Yes. Um, well and said. I find, I find a lot of encouragement in that. I'm so grateful for you guys spending this time with me. So let's, let's go to the great, let's go. Let's, let's talk about love. <laughs> we made it. We made it guys. We made it. <laughs> <laughs> for a moment we're making it. <laughs> um, you know, I just, it's, uh, it's such a, to lead, to lead us there. He starts the chapter with such an interesting, um, story that I don't think I even knew about. So that it's his opposition to the interpretation which Jesus was giving to the gospel of God had increased. So he was getting, you know, pushback. Um, and Jesus and his disciples withdrew from active work into temporary semi-retirement. <laughs> Sounds like a football player that retires at the age of 32 or whatever. Um, and that someone came in and was needed his help. And even he had a moment where it, I think it sounded like he, he had to pause for a second before he, because he had been so mistreated already that it took him a second to love, that it took him a second to sort of be himself. Yeah. Um, which I found startling and uh, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a brutal story. Yeah. You know, because and again, he, he's right. I, I, in fact, I hadn't seen it that way either. Leslie, Jesus is kind of withdrawn for this moment, right? He's kind of, they've kind of gone off the main road a little bit to regroup. And uh, but there's a woman who's desperate and comes to him 
not from the house of Israel, right? So she's kind of, she's an outsider to him, but she makes a claim on him and says she needs his help. And he says this really brutal thing to her, you know, that basically I don't, I'm, I'm not here for you. And, um, but she persists and she keeps coming to him. And finally he sees, you know, he sees this woman and talk about listening and seeing it's a moment for him. Um, I guess he changed his working paper that day a little bit, right? Finally got back in, in line or got back in line with what he was doing. And so reaches out to her and, and creates a healing moment for her daughter. Uh, so yeah, it's very interesting how love is breaking through for him as well as his love breaking into the lives of others. I think it's a really interesting choice that Thurman made to start the chapter on love by showing how Jesus had to become, you know, challenged by someone else in order to become more loving. It was really a, a brilliant way to begin that chapter. Absolutely. Yeah. And I also find comfort in that story because I can relate to that. <laughs> you know, if you have, if you, if all the stories of Jesus with this endless capacity to love at all times for all people in all ways, and, and I mean, I believe he did have that, but also it sort of normalizes and makes it human. You think, this is a story I can relate to because there are times where demands come to me and I just might not feel very loving. I might need to, to learn love from somebody. I might need to tap into an extra external resource of love. And, and thanks be to God that it's there. It's always there for us. It was for Jesus. Um, and so, yeah, I, just, I like that story. Uh, I find any stories that I can find myself really relating to me like, oh yeah, I've been there. I find yeah good good comfort and and a good an example that you know to be able to follow. I, I was so struck by the way that he put words in Jesus' mouth, so we sort of get this inner inner moment. And, and Jesus says, "What right has this woman of another race to make a claim on me?" And I'm like, "Whoa, this is because you're Jesus." <laughs> What mockery is there here? Am I not humiliated enough and being misunderstood by my own kind? And here this woman dares to demand that which in the very nature of the case, she cannot claim as her due. <laughs> this is not gentle Jesus, meek and mild. <laughs> Stop. Right. But they come through it. They come through it. And uh, so it's, it's, of course, happening to the disciples all the time, because this is like standard fare for them. They're always resistant. They're always trying to protect Jesus or in some ways to hoard him for themselves. Mm -hmm. and uh, They have to open up in this in this great spirit of love. Um, it's funny because he says a little later in the chapter, Jesus demonstrated that the only way to redeem others for the common cause was to penetrate their thick resistance to public opinion and esteem and lay bare the simple heart, which is exactly what the woman does to him. You know, he's got like this thick skin he's developed and she has to penetrate it, which she does, and it touches his heart. Again, simple language, you know, but it's, there's, a, there's a great deal of meaning behind all of it in the way that he uses it. And isn't that so true with life and faith that the lessons that we learn, we learn from other people. You know, when God places people in their lives, at least I've discovered, especially people who are very different than me, who think differently, who have different perspectives, mindsets, worldviews, cultural upbringings, I have learned some of my deepest lessons of faith. Uh, and sometimes I've been challenged. I've been called out. These have been hard lessons that I've learned. But through relationship, it's always been through a relationship with with somebody else. And I and. And maybe they've it, that relationship first started as the other, 
but then it became the same, you know, not seeing somebody as the other, but uh, a fellow human, you know, and uh, a brother, a sister, regardless of creed or color or race or socioeconomic background or anything. And yeah, we, we, people, people, um, from my young sons, I mean, they have taught me a tremendous amount, uh, generally about how selfish I am. I've learned a lot, so much about how selfish I am, uh, through my interactions with my sons, um, and their innocence and their, their approach to me, um, maybe similar to this woman claiming sort of a demand, if you will, um, as me being their father. And I think I don't have time for this. I don't have energy for this. And yet, uh, it's the right thing. And, and that's, that's who I am. That's what I'm called forth to, to be in, you know, with and for my children. And it has, it has broken me and it has put the pieces back together and has reshaped me into a different person. All of these interactions, all of these conversations and, and, and relationships and friendships that I have entered into. And I think, I believe that's because we were designed for that to, to really be in community, um, in this global community, you know, we are all beloved daughters and sons of God, all crafted and created in God's image. And uh, that's, we need to reclaim that and, and uh, reclaim that for ourselves, all of us, and continue to l- get that message out there for the world that's in need of reconciliation. Absolutely. So much of you, of what you just said resonated with me. One thing in particular that I think really Thurman was trying to get across is, is what you said about this fundamental understanding of an, an acknowledgement of personhood, right? Mm-hmm. Because through the, through fear and deception and hate, a person can, they lose their sense of humanity. And that if we cannot at the very least come to each other and recognize each other human to human, person to person. We're nowhere. Right. If we can start there, mm-hmm. that, that fundamentally feels like the fundamental ask is, is that we have an equal human status. Yeah. Ignoring power, ignoring everything. But, you know, he's told a story about, uh, about being called that. On a train and that the fundamental dehumanization of that word. (laughs) Yeah. Is, is, is stunning to me and, and also not surprising at the same time. And so I think if we can start there, then Mm -hmm. we can all have that kind of growth and potential and, and who knows how far we can all go together. Um, And it's, it's, and that I think love starts there and it's not something that is, I feel like love can sometimes feel and this idea of love, this Jesus concept of love can feel so uh, overwhelming and so unachievable mm-hmm. that I think giving, he kind of gives us a little bit of a, of a, of a eight steps, but he gives us one, he gives us the one of right. right. You are a person and I am a person and there mm-hmm. we shall begin. Yeah, it's like those maps that say you are here, you know, <laughs> start there. Right. Start there. <laughs> go, you know, uh, so well said about the steps uh, with a study group. I've also been reading uh, Karen, Karen Armstrong's book, 12 steps to a compassionate life. And I thought I can understand why she's got 12 of them. You know, there's 11 before she gets to love your enemies. Whereas Jesus kind of launches that right away. Right. 
Um, but just to focus a moment on this notion of love as personhood and, and who's, how do we uh, come to love the genuine self without all of the deception and the hate that might be in me and all of those things. And likewise, when I'm trying to reach out to this person who is uh, opposed to me or oppressing me in some ways, how do I train my vision on the genuine person beneath all of those layers? And I love the way he says, you know, if you were trying to love a Roman soldier 2000 years ago, you have to understand that that person doesn't understand who he is either. He's been told from the very beginning he's a Roman, not a human, uh, you know, not stripped away of all of that extra gear, but from, from, the, from early on in life, you're a Roman citizen, you're a Roman soldier, you're a Roman man, whatever it happens to be. And so therefore, the, the true personhood doesn't come clear. And I thought of all the stories that Thurman could have included about healing and interaction, it is interesting that he chose the one interaction between Jesus and a Roman centurion. So, you know, again, here's a person who comes to Jesus because he has a tremendous, or reaches out uh, to communicate to him, hey, I've got a real problem on my hands. And he trusts Jesus. There's like this sort of, he, he bears his soul. And that's what Thurman's really trying to get us toward. And I think Thurman's also saying that, look, even in this person who's been part of the occupying force that has led to the dehumanization of your people. Guess what? There's a human being inside that person. And it's our moral mandate to find that person. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much to you both for spending this time with me and uh, unpacking this book a little bit. It feels like a tiny little bit, um, even though this has been two episodes. Um, do you guys have any any final thoughts as we conclude uh, these two episodes? Dan, any thoughts? Lean in love. Lean into love. Uh, I, I really think that as we continue to embrace God's love, for us individually, and we're filled with that love, which is radical and unconditional and unmerited, uh, then that will be the source of us being able to give that same love and show that same love to seek the humanity, the true personhood of, of others, of all people. Uh, that's, that's the hope. That's the dream. So let's go forth. Thanks, Dan. And I guess I'll, I'll wind us up with a word from Howard Thurman. It's the last sentence in the book, but he's, he's a real poet, I think, as a writer. He has just a beautiful way with words. And he says, when people look into the face of Jesus, they see etched the glory of their own possibilities and their hearts whisper, thank you and thank God. Well, thank you both. And we'll see you all back here next week. Thank you as well. Thank Bless you. you. Thanks for listening. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Round Hill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillcommunitychurch.org.